All right, let's open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 33 tonight. All right, there's a slogan that says, justice delayed is justice denied. In uh, the world we're living in right now, it seems like everyone is looking for justice in some form or some fashion. The justice delayed and justice denied saying, you know, if you put all, it says if you put off justice for a long time, you may forget about the justice that needs to take place. You might feel less than enthused of the action of getting to justice at this time. And at some point, you may just forget about getting to justice for whatever it is altogether. And for those waiting to get justice for a loved one or getting justice because they were hurt or harmed on their behalf, sometimes hearing that word wait over and over can get very irritating and upsetting. And often that wait ends up to no justice at all. And in our own human instinct, I think we're wanting justice and we're wanting it now. Something happens in our uh, lives and we want justice. And we want quick justice. And we're going to see here today that that's not always the way God's justice works. So today we're going to look at the position from God's viewpoint uh, in which his viewpoint is really the only one that counts. Uh, you see, he was the injured party here. He is the injured party. We are the ones sinning against him. We're going to see here where Manasseh is sinning against him. We see that Hezekiah sinned against him. So he is the one that actually is in need of justice because of the sinning, but he also brings the solution. He also brings the justice himself. So I want to open up. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read a little bit from 2 Kings 20, uh, verses 12 through 19. And we're going to see here how Hezekiah acted after he was healed by God, getting 15 more years of life brought to him. And we're going to see how he reacts to that. It starts off in verse 12. It says, At the time of Baradak Baladon, the son of Baladon, king of Babylon, he sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. We know that he had come down with a disease to where it was going to come down to death. God healed him miraculously, gave him 15 more years to live, and we're seeing here that they're sending him a homework card saying, I'm glad you're getting better. And that's what Babylon's doing. But they had more in store than this, just that. It goes on verse 13. It says, And Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them all the house of his treasures, the silver and the gold, the spices and precious ointment, and all his armory. All that was found among his treasures, there was nothing in his house or in the dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. He should not be showing them all this stuff. It goes on in 14, it says, Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, They came from the country, a far country from Babylon. So Babylon was starting to come on the scene at this point. Remember, the Assyrians were kind of ruling everything at this point, and there was a transition that was about to be made. And he said, What have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. So pride was setting in with Hezekiah here. 
Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the kings of Babylon. And in verse 19, so Hezekiah said to Isaiah, now you would think, before we get to this, you would think Hezekiah would be like, oh man, that's horrible. Let me repent. Let me do what I have to do. But here it says, Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? What a selfish response to the word of God that was brought to him by Isaiah. It seems like he quickly forgot that God had just healed him and gave him more life. That God had blessed him throughout his reign uh, of Judah. And here he is saying, well, at least it's not going to happen on my watch. That is very selfish, very prideful. And God could have and probably should have took justice on him right here. But God didn't do that. In those 15 years, uh, if you remember my last sermon, which was what, a couple weeks ago now, we talked about maybe it would have been better if Hezekiah would have died. Maybe, maybe it would have been better if he just died when, when it was going to happen and then Manasseh wouldn't have been born, and all these things wouldn't have happened, and we wouldn't have had an evil ruler like Manasseh, who we're going to speak about tonight, to take over the kingdom. And you would think God would maybe say, hey, I'm going to cut it off right here, and this is going to be the end of it. But he doesn't do that, so, so justice is almost delayed. But God has a plan, and we're going to see that in a minute. So as we get into Second Chronicles 33, the first ten chapters or so, kind of parallel what chapter uh, King 21 of 2 King does. But there's a little added bit at the end of this chapter showing how Manasseh ends up turning himself around and turning his life around. Now, God had to, it had to take him 55 years, as we'll see in a minute, to get to that point. But there's reasons sometimes God delays the justice on people. And we're going to read about that tonight. So let's go ahead and start in verse 1, 2 Chronicles chapter 33. It says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he had rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. He raised up altars for the Baals and made wooden images, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven. And served them. It says that he became king at 12 years old. I have a daughter that just turned 12. And I said, he became king at 12. What have you done with your life? You know, and she kind of laughed at me about it. Uh, she had overheard me reading it. But, Daddy, I'm 12. I said, well, what did you do? But anyway, he reigned for 55 years. With the longest reign as the king of Judah. And you would think that because he had reigned so long that God honored him with this life, right? Because he was such a good king. But we're going to find out it was just the opposite. We see here that he was already starting to build up these high places that his father had torn down. He started worshiping all these other heavenly hosts and such. And it wasn't because he was worthy, but it was because of God's grace that he allowed him 
to live that long. I think sometimes we wonder and we ask the Lord how he can allow certain people to live. We think about some of the politicians. They probably make us mad, and we're like, Lord, why are you letting them do this? We think about terrorist groups and and, and, uh, different people who have come against the United States, and we ask ourselves, Lord, why do you let evil rule like this? We think of dictators in other nations and what have you and how they treat their people, and we ask ourselves, Lord, why do you let this happen? And don't act like we don't. I'm pretty sure there's been people in our lives who are like, Lord, can you take them out? I don't need them in my life anymore. You look in Psalms, and and David is saying this to him a couple times in the book of Psalms, wanting to take out his enemies because of of everything that is going on. So these these thoughts and these questions do come through our mind, that we want him to destroy our enemies. But then he also tells us in the Gospels, love our enemies too. And that can be hard at times. You know, it said the Bible says that God is willing that none should perish. 2 Peter 3, 9 tells us, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So every dictator that has ever been on this earth, God wants them to repent. He may know that they're not going to repent, but he wants them to repent. You can think about maybe the thorn in your side and, and, and the people that irritate and bother you. He wants them to repent too. And we've got to realize we're a thorn probably in someone else's side. And he wants us to repent as well. So our father is patient. He extends himself so far, just waiting for that wicked man to finally repent. If, he, if there is any hope for him, he wants him to repent. In fact, the Lord waited 55 years here for Manasseh to finally repent and turn towards him. 55 years of, of torment for the people of Judah, 55 years of, of idolatry, 55 years of evil. He waited because he knew Manasseh was going to turn to him at some point. So he had justice that was delayed at this point, just waiting, because he knew that this lost sheep was going to come back to his fold even though many probably wish he would have died. And you need to ask yourself, aren't you happy that he waited for you, that he waited for me? Because he could have cut us off whenever justice was due on us, but he didn't, and he waited. All right, verse 4, as we continue, it says, He also built altars in the house of the Lord, or which the Lord of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So we see him starting to disrespect the temple and the worship of God, right in the house of God. It wasn't like he built these, these temples or anything on the outsides of the temple or outside Jerusalem. He's actually turning the church into a place of idolatry. He's setting up these temples, uh, these altars to Baal probably in the sanctuary itself. We see him setting up these altars for the hosts of heavens, probably out in the courtyards where it can be seen from the heavens. He's also setting graven images of Asherah in the house of God. So he is desecrating the house that his father rebuilt and reestablished again, just as his grandfather had done, Ahaz had done beforehand. The worship of God of Israel was being thrust out, and that from the very house of God. I think about the false preachers we have today and the false worship we often have today 
that's coming from the very house of God, ushering in idolatry and new age movements inside the church itself. And so many believers are falling stray to this and believing these false teachers so that all you're getting out of the house of God is a false gospel and a false message. And we need to combat that in our, in our, in our walk, in our everyday lives. When we come across those who may be believing these lies, we need to be able to bring truth to them. And we see that God's house has turned into a house of idolatry here. Verse 6, it says, Also he caused his sons to pass through the fire of the, in the valley of the son of Hinnom. He practiced Susain, he used witchcraft and sorcery, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So now this evil is provoking God to anger, and that is a bad, bad place to be. Statues of Moloch were set up with these hollow bellies they had. Fires were set inside to his red hot. And what did they do with them after that? They would take their first sons, firstborn sons, and place them on the altar of Moloch where they would burn. Burning these innocent babies. The thinking was that the firstborn son or the children you would have after that would be blessed and the family would prosper if you would only give up your firstborn. Sad, sad thinking. And I think today we're doing the same thing. We see babies being burned through abortion. The same spirit is here today. And these people, who, these women who are going to, or even the fathers forcing the, the, the mothers to go get abortion, are thinking, well, we can't afford to take care of it right now. We, can't, we don't have the means to do it right now. It's going to inconvenience our life right now. But maybe our future children would be better off once we get a better circumstance in our life. Maybe our, our future would be better, and then we can have more children, but let's sacrifice this one because it's not convenient right now. And that's a sad, sad place to be. And the same thing that was happening in the days of Manasseh, they're happening now. He said that he worshipped worshiped the stars. How many people are worshipping these Hollywood stars right now and, and hanging on every word that they're telling us about these, these social issues that are going on today? And worshiping every word they say instead of worshiping every word that God says. They're worshiping the, adult, uh, the abortion industry by, because convenience, it's not convenient for them to have a child at the moment. So we'll just get rid of it and act like it never happened. So the things that were going on in these days are no different than the things that are going on today. It's the same spirit behind it. And as we engage in these same kind of practices, we are setting the stage for the righteous judgment of the Father. And if we can't see God's judgment starting to touch America today, I think we're blind. This is only the beginnings of it if we don't repent and turn back towards him. And so many people right now are blind to that fact. Verse 7, as we continue, it says, He even set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not again move the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers, uh, for your fathers, only if they are careful to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinance by the hands of Moses. So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem 
to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. He's saying here, I don't want to move Jerusalem out of this area. This is the place I've chosen for them. Only if they would follow my commands and my ordinances, there would be no problem. Just do what the God created, who created you says to do. Do what I'm telling you. It's for your good, and we'll have no problems. You'll live here, and you'll prosper, and it'll be great. But we know that throughout the history, especially reading through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, we know that they would not listen. And nor do believers listen today, nor do the people of God like to listen today at all. But in verse 9 it says, So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. I think about our politicians today encouraging evil to continue on. Encouraging this rioting to continue on. Encouraging all these different evils to continue on and seducing the people. And that's exactly what we see here today. And some people may say, well, it shouldn't have been right that the Lord destroyed the people that were in the land before them. But let me tell you something about that. The Lord had previously destroyed all the pagans in the land, the Canaanites, right? We went in and he had to wipe them out as, as Israel was going into the promised land. And some people questioned the fairness of this. In Genesis 15, God said to Abraham that there would come a day when his descendants would be carried off to Egypt. They would be there for 400 years. And it says, until the iniquity of the Amorites was full. 400 years the Amorites had a chance to repent and come back to God. I believe God has given every walk of man an opportunity to repent and come to him. We've had 240-something plus years here in America to repent and to turn to him and to remain his. Our days are going to be cut short at some point in time. We look through these, these books we've been reading through, Israel, 200-something years to repent. They would repent. They would fall back into idolatry. Repent, fall back into idolatry, but God was patient. Justice was not served yet. God was patient with them, wanting them to come back to him. And we see the same thing here. God is still being patient with Manasseh, and even though the, he is deceiving the nation of Judah, he is being patient with them. And he says that he destroyed the Amorites and all that because some of their practices were going crazy and more dangerous day by day. I look at some of the practices we have in the U.S. today, and some of the things we do is going crazy and dangerous day by day, worse and worse. This is a different America I'm living in today than I was when I was a child, totally different. The, the, the ideologies and the way people, people are thinking and conducting themselves is crazy. And I can only see fit that the Lord would bring judgment on our country if we don't get it right. It goes on to verse 10. It says, And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they did not listen. That sounds so familiar. God sent his prophet Isaiah to speak not only to Manasseh, but to all of Judah. And what did Manasseh end up doing with Isaiah? He killed him. Legend says that he sawed him in half. A prophet of God, a great prophet of God, Killed by this leader. God is speaking to us today through his prophets or through his preachers or through his, his messengers. Are we listening? Is America listening right now? I pray that they are. I pray there is a remnant that, that will start to rise up and do the will of God. And listen to what he has to say. Listen to what his messengers have to say. And to take action. But we, we, we shall see when time comes. 
in verse 11, says, Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the kings of Assyria who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. Now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. And he received his entreaty, heard his supplications, and brought him back to Jerusalem into the kingdom. The Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. We talk about these dictators we've had throughout world history and the evil and the monstrosities that he, they have brought upon our, our world. We see here Manasseh, we talked about, it doesn't say it here, but history has shown that he had killed Isaiah and done many other monstrosities for the people of Judah. And he was, he was a world dictator at this time, too, in this particular region. He was a dictator, too. And we say to ourselves, well, it's better off that he would die. He should have already died. But you know what? God didn't see that. We just see here that he now knows that, that the Lord God is his God. You know, and he goes to him. He goes to God in his time of affliction. Oh, that people would just go to God because they... They know they need him, but not in time of affliction. Maybe in the good times they would go before God. But it often we hear that people come to Christ in times of affliction, in time of their greatest need. That's when they will go to God. And it took 55 years before Manasseh would finally bend the knee down to God and realize that he is the true God. I don't know how long it took any of y'all for, or myself. I know how long it took me. Uh, the rest of y'all, I don't know how long it took for y'all to bend the knee to God. I don't know. And, and whoever's watching, I don't know how long it took. But thank God that he was patient and he waited that long to be able to, to, to grab you and bring you into the fold. Thank God that we have that grace. But we often go to God, like I said, in times of affliction, as we see Manasseh doing here as well. In Psalms 119, 71, it says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted. That's a strange prayer. Not too many people will pray, well, thank you, Lord, for afflicting me. But it says that I may learn your statutes, because often when in time of infliction and in time of struggle, we're going to get closer to God at that point. We're going to be able to learn his statutes and learn his ways even more, because that infliction brings us closer to him and draws us to him. It is when we are afflicted that perhaps... For the first time in a long time, we may actually pick up our Bible and read it, just not on Sunday and Wednesday. It's when we are afflicted that we finally cry out to God in sincerity and desperation. If he heard Manasseh's prayer, he will hear any sinner's prayer. A true, genuine, sincere prayer of repentance and crying out to the Savior, he will hear it. Because if he heard Manasseh's, he will hear ours. Amen. There's been said that there is no atheist in a foxhole. Often when we're, we're, we're being in situations that may end up in a death or injury or may cause bodily harm, many want to pray to hear from God. Many want to hear what God has to say. I know when I was in the military, I, we've had a few guys that they can care less about what God had to say. But whenever situations in their lives were going on 
whether in their families or what have you, they would come to those who believe to get prayer. They would come to those who believe to get guidance. I've had a couple of them when I was in there would come to me knowing I was a Christian wanting guidance. And I was able to minister to them and what have you. But it's funny when things go south, they want to cry out to God. And things were definitely going south for Manasseh at this point in time, and he cried out to God. And I like to think about the grace of God and just love the grace of God because I need it every day. When I wake up, I need the grace of God because my mind and my heart is still being transformed into what Christ is. So I'm going to fail at times. I'm going to fail my wife. I'm going to fail my children. And I need the grace of God to cover that. I love the way God our Father has been so gracious to to us as a a church here and been gracious to to myself individually. And, And we look at people like Manasseh and we might say to ourselves, Lord, how could you save this guy? How could you save such a tyrant? But then we got to look back at ourselves and say, Lord, how could you have saved me? And realize as God's hand reaches out all over the earth, wanting to save those who are in desperate need of him. In verse 14, as we continue, it says, after, he, after this, so he, he leaves from Babylon, and he comes back, and it says, after this he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gahan, in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate. And it enclosed Ophel, and he raised it to a very great height. Then he put uh, military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. He took away the foreign gods and the idols from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and he cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, uh, Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places, but only to the Lord their God. So we see here Manasseh returned back to Jerusalem that he started to put the city back together. He built up the walls to keep out the enemies. And when God has extended the grace to us, whenever he's got us back in track and back in fellowship with him, I think we ought to reestablish our walls of discipline in our own lives, that we start setting boundaries in our lives to keep evil and keep the enemy out. When the Lord God has shown grace to us like Manasseh, we ought to be changed men and women. That is, we ought to share the word. We ought to pray more, not only with ourselves and the Lord, but to pray with our families and start setting these boundaries. As he went back and built the defenses back for the city of Jerusalem, we need to go back and build the defenses of our heart against the enemy that is before us. We ought to be changed in our personal devotion as well and spend time with the Lord. That time with the Lord should be our joy. It should not be a task for us. It should be something that we enjoy to do as we continue to build the walls and to build our defenses up against the enemy through his word, through prayer. So understanding his position, Manasseh, as he understood his position of this incredible grace, built up these walls and moved out the idols and rebuilt the altars, and so must we. 
we have to build ourselves back up in Christ whenever we've fallen away and come back to him. And it says here in verse 17, it says, Nevertheless, the people still sacrifice on the high places, but only to the Lord their God. That was kind of half-hearted because we know the Lord did not want sacrifice and worship, but he wanted it in the temple at the time. They should have came down to the temple to worship, but yet they worship him at these high places anyway. And that was something the Holy Spirit would definitely have to work on them with. In verse 18, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, his prayer to his God, and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, indeed they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. Also his prayer and how God received his entreaty and all his sins and trespasses and the sites where he built high places and set up wooden images and carved images before he was humbled. Indeed, they are written among the, uh, the sayings of Hosei. So Manasseh rested with his fathers, and they buried him in, the, uh, in his own house. Then his son Amon reigned in his place. So they didn't bury him with the kings. He got buried in his own area. Amon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. For Amon sacrificed to all the core of images which his father Manasseh had made and served them. And he did not humble himself before the Lord and his father, as his father Manasseh had humbled himself. But Amon trespassed more and more. Sad. We see here as, as Manasseh humbled himself and, and ended up dying and, and, and going to be with the Lord that he was not buried with the other kings. Those 55 years really took a toll, I think, on Judah and, and, and on him. And then we see his son Amon coming in to reign, but all he seems to have learned was the evil that his father had done. And he came in and did just as much, if not more, evil than what Manasseh had did. So his, the, the, at the end of his reign, the, he humbled himself and came before God, but it seemed it was too late to even teach his son that way. And in verse 24 it says, as we conclude, it says, Then his servant conspired against him and killed him in his own house. So Amon was killed in his own house. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Amon. Then the people of the land made his son jo, uh, Josiah king in his place. So we had a bloody revolution going on here. They killed King Amon. The people chased after those who killed King Amon and killed them. Then they put Josiah as their king. We need to be patient with God. We need to understand that his, his way of justice is not our way. Our way is imperfect. His justice is perfect. And sometimes we don't like the fact that he allows things to go on, but it is for a greater good. It is for his will to be completed. And we don't know all the ins and outs of what he's, what he's working. And who would have known that Manasseh would take over and do all this evil, but 55 years later, you can say, get saved and humble himself before God because God knew that he was going to humble himself. God knew that he was going to gain him to the kingdom and he waited for him. How much more we want to pray for our loved ones that God continues to wait on them to get saved as well. Amen. Father, we uh, come to you tonight. 
And we thank you for this word. We thank you that your justice is not like our justice. Because so often we want justice and we want it now. But you are patient. You're great, full of grace and full of mercy. Not wanting anyone to perish, Lord. But all to come to saving knowledge of who you are. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you've, you've waited for us to get saved, Father God. And we give you glory for, the, for those who will get saved in the future because you've waited, Lord. Uh, we just ask for your mercy tonight. We ask for your traveling mercies. We ask for your blessing over this group here today. And for those who are not able to make it, that you bless them as well. We give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.